Let's take our Bibles tonight, if we could, and let's go to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra in chapter number 7. I am thankful to be here this week. There's a lot of times when I go away from our church, go away from the pulpit, and whether it be a missions trip or some other event, some matter of business, and and I always am just dying to get back. I just feel like I've got so much to do. I can't get get caught up, and there's just much to be accomplished. And but I was very much looking forward to being here. I was, I'm thankful to be able to co-labor together with Pastor and, and, and just be a part of what God is doing. And I recognize my part is just a few days and just trying to scratch where uh, you might itch spiritually speaking. And, and I don't know those needs. And, and Pastor doesn't talk about the problems or the needs of either in the church or the school. And, um, and I think that there's one who knows better than he does, even though he's responsible, um, but God is the one who knows. And so seeking the Lord and trying to get his mind is, is really the way it ought to be. But it's been a great blessing to be here. It's been a, uh, always refreshing and helpful uh, to be able to see what God is doing and, and to watch what God is doing and seeing the good fight of faith that is constantly uh, ongoing because it is that. If you have a good church, it can't stay good automatically. It's not going to stay good, and I mean good in the sense of uh, biblical and, and fundamental straight. It's not going to stay that way accidentally. And there's a need to be deliberate about these things. That's why there's a lot of things that are done, and you may wonder why, why do we do those things? Well, ask, ask, Pastor, why? And there's a lot of things I find that he's just deliberate about doing them. And that's very important because we want to be able to represent the king of his kingdom that we're a part of. And, and God is very deliberate when it comes to the matters of the church and, and when it comes to the matter of your walk with him. And then we find when we get to heaven, he's been very deliberate about that. He's been making preparation for us for quite some time. And, and, um, and you find every detail, what little is told of us to us about heaven, Every detail is quite important. And so God is a God of uh, deliberate order, and, and I'm thankful to see that there is still that mindset. Uh, going into the pastor, I, I was not quite prepared for. I thought uh, the transition would be a little bit easier, but it was a challenge. As Pastor mentioned, being an evangelist and in, in evangelism, it, it was it's far different. And it's not just in the... I recognize in the preaching we're making we're calling for decisions to be made right now, and in the pastorate I I'm I'm looking for the longevity, and so we want them. I'm always giving an invitation, always calling to respond to the truth that they've heard. But I recognize that what we want ultimately is to translate into an ongoing walk. But the preaching's not even the same. I I, I just. The studying's not the same. There's nothing, there was no similarity that I could find going from what I did in evangelism to what I'm doing as a pastor. And um, this week I'm functioning more as an evangelist, and, but it, it's just not the same. And for the first year, I, my wife could tell you I was having an identity crisis. I just, I thought I can't preach, I can't study. I, 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 and and this, is, this is the truth. I couldn't even give announcements without begging God to help me. It just, I was that lost in this. But I didn't go into the pastor because the meetings dried up. In fact, I was really at the best place um, in our ministry as far as meetings were concerned. I went into evangelism with the policy. I would never ask or solicit a meeting. And by God's grace, I did not. And, and God filled our schedule and kept us filled. But the landscape was changing and God was doing some different things in my life. And when we started out in evangelism, we went from Sunday to Friday most every meeting, and then went from Sunday to Thursday, and Sunday to Thursdays are very rare. What you're doing is very rare. Now it's Sunday to Wednesday, and a lot of times pastors were asking, can you do Sunday to Tuesday? And then I got to thinking, we keep whittling this down. I'm not going to have much to retire from. <laughs> we're not doing much. And, and yet God was moving some things around in my heart, concerning the matter of the church. And, and I'll talk, I think, a little bit more about that tomorrow night. And, um, but when I got into pastoring, I thought, 
there's some unique things about this. One is that I think being a pastor, a pastor is the only, to use this word, profession. It's the only profession that I know of where somebody can get mad at you because you didn't visit them who does not like you and does not normally want you to visit them. But when they go into the hospital, they didn't tell you they were going into the hospital and you didn't visit them and now they're mad at you. It's the only profession, I think, where you get in trouble for something like that. And so it, 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 was, it was quite different. It, it was very, very different. But I love the fact that um, I believe this is what God would have for me and I love watching what God would do. I anticipated five years before we even see anything happen. It's just what I, in my mind, I knew it would take time. And I wasn't there to make changes. I told him, I'm not trying to make changes. I'm just trying to, to get a hold of the mind of God. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to hold off on making any changes. I didn't change any light bulbs. I didn't even change the toilet paper roll. I wasn't doing any changes because that's what people are anticipating. And I recognize what we need more than just making some changes cosmetically. We needed God. And, and I just finished five years this past October and it's been a thrill, one of the great thrills is to start seeing men grow beyond their wives in their spiritual journey with the Lord. And, um, and, I, and I just thank the Lord for what He's doing. I thank the Lord, as I mentioned before, He's up to something every day, and I'm glad He just lets me be a part of whatever it is in, in my sphere of His will for my life. Well, Ezra chapter 7, you have that? I was saying a little bit of that so you could find it. Because for some, that's the part of your Bible where the pages are stuck together. And so I was trying to make sure you had time to get there. Ezra 7, let's stand together please. Let's look at the end of the chapter. Well, let's look at the middle. Let's look at uh, verse number 9 at the end of the verse and then all of verse number 10. End of the verse it reads, According to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now the book of Ezra is the story of two groups of Jews that came out of captivity in Babylon to go back into their homeland in Jerusalem. Ezra was part of that second group, a smaller group. He went into the homeland. They'd already built up the temple walls and they've already instituted temple worship. But Ezra's desire was that the people of God would experience a reviving by God. That is what occurred. But the significant thing to me is that three times in chapter number 7, the Bible says that Ezra had the hand of God upon his life. Verse 6, verse 9, verse 28. All three verses tell us Ezra had God's hand upon his life. Listen, more than I want to live, I want God's hand to be upon my life. If I could get across maybe something that you could take away from this meeting and remember above anything else, maybe it would be this idea. You can have God's hand upon your life. More than I want my next meal, I want God's hand to be upon my life. Tonight the message is simple. It's entitled, Having God's Hand Upon Your Life. Thank you. Please be seated. Appreciate the water. I apologize for the distraction last night. It's not necessarily with my voice. It's just congestion down in my chest. And, and take too deep of a breath. It started to, to just tighten up on me. And when preaching a gospel message especially, I, I just fear any disruption or distraction and I recognize I wasn't helping with that, but they gave me uh, water, so I should be a well-oiled windmill tonight. And thank you for that. Names in the Bible are significant, especially in the Old Testament. The name Ezra simply means to aid, assist, or help. And I believe it was Ezra's desire to be of help, especially to those round about him, especially to his fellow countrymen. I hope you're here tonight with a desire to be a help. I hope every man wants to be a help to his family. I hope every citizen wants to be a help to their country. I hope every church member wants to be a help to the body of Christ. 
I hope you want to be a help. But if we're going to be of help to anybody, we have to recognize, as did Ezra, that first and foremost, we need the hand of God to rest upon us. Nehemiah knew about the hand of God in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 8. The Bible says that the king granted him his request according to the good hand of his God upon him. In Nehemiah 2 and verse 18, Nehemiah says, And I told them of the hand of God that was good upon me. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 11 and verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and many believed and turned to the Lord. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 tells us to humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt us in due time. The hand of God is certainly what we need, but what does it mean? I do believe that the hand of God represents many different dimensions and dynamics within the Christian life. One of which I believe it speaks about the protection of God. It's God's hand that would be the protecting factor there. I believe also that it speaks of the presence of God. For wherever you find God's hand, that's where you're going to find God. One of the great burdens that I had, even in evangelism and traveling, especially when we get over to the Bible Belt area and get into our southeast, was the fact that there are many men who were not functioning as God had designed that they function. Do you know that if God made you a male, that He made you to lead? You're designed to lead. It doesn't mean that you're an automatic leader, but it means that that is how He designed designed you. That's what He designed you for. And whatever He designed you for, He will equip you to enable you to do that. Certainly none of us signed up to be a male. No lady signed up to be a female. But that's God's business, God's design, and God's desire. And so when we recognize that God designed men to lead, and yet we see an epidemic across our country where there's a lack of leadership, it's a burden. It shows part of the reason why we're so broken. But God can raise up men today. Men who would recognize that the hand of God can be upon their life and enable them and establish them to lead in their homes, to lead in their marriage, to be leaders in the community, leaders through the church. What we need is the hand of God. And recognizing that there's an absence of leadership, I was burdened about that. And then one of the other things I began to see, and you would think that this shouldn't really be this way, but it is. And I think maybe some may recognize this factor. And that is, in a lot of churches, the Bible seems to be irrelevant. You know, one of the things that makes us a Baptist, one of the dynamics, one of the distinctives of being a Baptist, is that the Bible is the authority. I'm not against all tradition. Some tradition is good. And there's nothing wrong with being loyal to some tradition, but our loyalty ultimately ought to be to the truth that that tradition came out of. There are a lot of people that are more loyal to their family than they are to the truth of God's Word. There are people that go to churches that do not submit to the authority of the Word of God. And I've heard people say, if... If I could leave, I would leave. I know the church is dead. It's dying. It's almost extinct. It's got a graveyard cemetery out back, but it's deader on the inside than it is on the outside. Oh, I wish I could leave, but you know, Paul, Paul, he's buried in the back, and I just don't know what to do. I say, dig Paul, Paul up and take him with you. That's what I do. We don't have time for a dead church. And by the way, since you brought that up, you understand Baptist is not a denomination. People always ask, what denomination are you? I'm not. Oh, you're non-denominational. Well, I guess if you want to call it that, but I'm an independent Baptist. Baptist is not a denomination. Every denomination started with the man, and every denomination you can find trace coming out of the Catholic Church. Did you know that? Except for Baptist. We go all the way back to Jesus Christ. And so it was God Almighty, the The God-man Jesus Christ that started what we are. What is Baptist? It's just synonymous with, I believe, the Bible. What is Baptist? It's synonymous with, we're going to 
practice the Bible. What is Baptist? It's synonymous with that is our where our allegiance lies. It's with the Word of God. If what we do doesn't line up with the Bible, we don't adjust the Bible, we adjust ourselves. And so the Bible, there's an absence of the Word of God and Bible, the Bible being the authority and relevance and men leading and, and then going into the pastorate, I saw those very same things within a church and I recognize we can begin to make changes and, 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 and we can do some things and, and there's a, it's a good church and, and there's a lot of things I could do and we can do it just because I say we're going to do it. But what I wanted more than just we're going to do it, I wanted the people to buy into it. I wanted them to see this is what we should do. In fact, when we do make changes, when we implement something, usually by the time we do it, they thought we already did it a long time ago. Because I announce it, I explain it, I try to try to get them to see it before. Because I don't want them to do what I say. I want them to catch what I think, and what I think has come from what God says. And I want them to embrace it. But the point that I'm getting to is this. How are we going to see such transformation in men that's going to result in transformation in the home, that's going to result in transformation in a church family, that's going to result in the Word of God having its proper place? It's in the presence of God. The presence of God. I'm often reminded of Saul. I don't think many people suspected that Saul would be the one who would get saved in Acts chapter number 9. In fact, we know when he got saved, there were many people who were skeptical that this man truly got saved. Saul just was not just an atheist, agnostic. He didn't just hate Jesus Christ. He was trying to stamp out Christianity and the church. He was zealous to do so. You know how all that changed? In the presence of God. I have found the things that I, I work at so hard and I try so carefully, I try so, so uh, uh, eloquently to articulate so that no one misses it, things that I believe would, would help each individual, which would be a help to the family. I, I have found it could take me weeks, no, months, well, actually years for them to get and to begin to apply. But here's what I have found. I found it to be true in the Bible. And we're beginning to see it to be true in experience. That in the presence of God, people can get in a moment. But I've been trying to get give them for years. My wife's burden, she spoke to the ladies that were there about the Christ Walk Journal. We started a few years ago. Well, actually, about four years ago. Been there five years, four years ago. We started 7.30 every morning men's prayer meeting. I went through and I spent several weeks talking to the men about how to give a challenge. And they give a 10-minute challenge. I, I, I felt like I wanted the, a man from the playpen to the pulpit, every man, to be able to articulate what God is doing in their heart how to do that. One great joy was to sit on the front row where I would sit during that 7.30 a.m. men's prayer time and I would watch some of these men and uh, two of them are in heaven now in their 70s and 80s who would get up and say, I've been in this church. Our church just celebrated 60 years. I've been in this church 40 years. Been in this church 50 years. And I've never given a devotion before. But they did so because I asked them to do it. And they just get up and just humbly say what God's been dealing with them about. And so every Sunday morning a man gives a, a 10 minute challenge and, and then we take some prayer requests and then we go to pray. And about 35, it's about 35 men every Sunday morning. Then we go and the ladies prepare a prayer, a breakfast for us when we're done and, and, and they begin to see this is important because it began to change the dynamics and the landscape of our church. And what happened, men started stepping up. Men started realizing, God can use me. I want God to use me. And then when that started happening, things started coming out in their life as to why they maybe have not been used of God. Places where they've been broken, some bitterness in their lives. The pornography that's been rampant, that's been kept secret and covered and, and hidden like Achan had buried that 
stolen uh, 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 garment and and uh, uh, the the uh, the uh, uh, gold and and those things and they, they they've kept this and and it and it's just it's just there but it's robbing them of being used of God and so men have been opening up. I want to tell you one of the great blessings about a church is a church is a place where we ought to be able to hurt out loud. See, if we don't get this, it's not, we're, we're going to stay broke. I'm talking about broken, not just broke in your pocketbook. I'm talking about broken people. And church, we ought to have broken people. We started then. We've been doing this for four years, the men's prayer meeting. And then we started Saturday nights at 7 o'clock. And people come pray. You want to pray for revival. And here's where I get this from. And I don't put pressure on anybody. And I recognize that many are working five, five and a half, six days a week. And so I'm not putting pressure on anybody. But Jesus asked a few men, would you pray with me? And I thought if Jesus needed somebody to pray with him, there's nothing wrong with me asking. Saturday nights, I'm praying. I just thought if somebody else would like to show up and pray with me, that'd be a help and blessing to me. And here's what one of the things I've loved. I've watched men on a pilgrimage and on a journey getting victory over pornography, getting victory over things in their life, over their bitterness towards uh, parents who have neglected them when they were younger, bitterness towards us. And they've been getting right now. Here's what they're praying for many times on Saturday night. Here's how their prayer goes. Oh, God, would you send us broken people? God, would you send us hurting people? You know, that's everybody out there. But here... Hurt people hurt people. Wounded people are going to wound people. Bitter people produce bitter people. But when you're found, found people find people. Healed people look for others that need to be healed. And we want our church to be able to go from a place where People are just patients to becoming doctors. Knowing how to point them to the great physician. You know where that really happens? It's in the presence of God. This Christ Walk Journal we came across, actually came across it when I was up at Jim Van Gelderen's home church and something that they put together. It's just, a, it's just a plan. All it is is a plan that was taken from another book written by Dick Eastman, I think, from the 70s. They did it for their church. It was just for their church. And I asked, hey, can I take one of these? And and Because I recognize everybody knows, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But few people do it. And then the ones who try it, they don't know what to do. Don't know how to do it. You know, we're going to try to spend time with God today and they get to praying or get to reading and, man, 30 minutes. Oh, it's not even been five minutes. And so what this Christ Walk Journal has done is it's a spending, it's a challenge to spend an hour with God a day. I praise the Lord for the fact we have over a hundred people that have committed in our church to pray, to spend an hour with God a day. See, all it is is just a plan. The, there's nothing special about the plan. We, 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 we have these different things. You, you can adjust it and do whatever. But the point is, it's just getting us to a place where we can engage. Do you know how relationships crumble? Lack of communication. Whether it's husband, wife, parent, children, colleagues, whether it's church. It's communication. It's key. It's critical. Saved people, lost people understand that. And so how are we going to have an effective relationship with the Lord if there's no communication? And if only communication is us telling Him what we need, treating Him like He's a genie in a bottle, or we may read something so we can check it off, and then we go away saying, I did my devotions. You don't do your devotions. You have time with God. You spend time with God. You get into the presence of God. Spending an hour with God. You say, I'm going through this journal. And I remind our people, we're not going through a journal. We're entering into the presence of God. 
Every time we open the Bible, every time we sit down, the goal is, I want to meet with Jesus. I want to meet not with, 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 with just something, a, a book or, or a piece of paper, a notepad. No, I want to meet with Him. I, I submit to you that our great need in our churches is that we don't have the hand of God because we don't know the presence of God. We're not experiencing the presence of God. I preached last night, man's greatest need is to be born again. But I believe that man's deepest need is to encounter God. Each of us, each of us in here have many needs. There are some who have physical needs. There are those who have emotional needs. Others who have social needs. But the deepest need you have is a spiritual need. And it can only be met and satisfied by God Himself. You need right facts, yes. You need right information, of course. But you need a fresh encounter with God. Did you have that today? There are a lot of times people come in, they just drag into church. They think church doesn't do anything for me. Why do you think people are going to the, the places where there is the, where they jam out and, and where the volume of the music's turned up so much and, 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 and it's just a casual, but it's a high charged emotional atmosphere. It's because they've yet figured out that the greatest, deepest need we have is a fresh encounter with God. Being in the presence of God, the living God, is an awesome experience. He's the creator of the universe. He's the savior of my soul. Meeting with God is life-changing. Everyday encounters, that's part of His plan. No one can leave the presence of God. Are you listening? No one can leave the presence of God and remain the same. Nobody. God is the one who initiates these encounters. Not simply to help us, but to change us. His will, His thoughts, His desires are communicated so that our wills, our thoughts, and our desires can be adjusted. Then when we see the battle plan that's before us, the assignment that is classified, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, uh, maybe we look at them and we say, this is God's will for my life. And maybe your response is like Mary in the Bible. How can these things be? It's in the fresh encounter with God. We recognize that the best of our armor is like the king's armor given to David. It's inadequate. It doesn't fit. The very best, your discipline, all your education, all the, the fundamental staying right. That's good. It's necessary. But listen, we can be fundamental and we can still be powerless. You know, one of the things about David, when David went out and he committed the great sin against Bathsheba, you remember, and of course you remember the story, the preacher, Nathan, comes in and confronts David. He lays out a scenario about this sheep farmer who had all the sheep that he needed, but this sheep farmer stole this one little sheep. You remember all that? You, you remember that? Some of you say no. Alright, so David. Here he is. David, uh, middle-aged David as king. He, he stays home when he should have been out to battle. And he sees Bathsheba. And he lusts upon a woman that doesn't belong to her. He stole her. He committed adultery with her, got her pregnant. And here the preacher comes in, the preacher confronts him, lays out this story. And here's the thing, David gave the right conclusion. He said that sheep farmer who stole that little sheep, he's going to pay. He needs to pay. You know what that tells me? It tells me even when you're not in the presence of God, and you don't have the power of God, you don't have the hand of God upon your life, you can still counsel right. David said the right thing because he knew the right thing. But just knowing facts and information is not a substitute for being in the presence of God. Everything around us, ideas and philosophies and opinions and values, they are contrary to God and His Word. 
I was very encouraged spending time fellowshipping at lunch with Brother Osborne, just talking about the, the, the state. And our president tonight is addressing the state of our union. But, but just talking about the, the, not just the political aspect, but the educational aspect. And the fact is, ideas and philosophies and opinions and values, they are contrary to God and His Word. It can leave us disoriented to a holy God. But every time we open the Bible, we have the honorable opportunity to experience a dramatic encounter with the living God that can shake us, change us, calibrate our thinking. That's why we need fresh encounters with God. That's why we must seek these fresh encounters with God. Our approach to the Word must be humble. Our approach to the Word must have a willingness to obey what He says, no matter the cost. You know, God is always ready to speak. And when He does, we will never be the same. When we talk about the hand of God, I believe we're talking about the presence of God. Let me ask you, were you in the presence of God this morning? Somebody says this, and here's the, the, the way people try to justify their lack of experiencing the presence of God. Well, God is everywhere, is He not? Sure He is. God is omnipresent. But do you remember Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst? Why would Jesus say that? Did somebody not inform Jesus that God was omnipresent? What Jesus is saying that there are times that I will manifest my presence in greater ways than in others. God says, James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. That's a fresh encounter of His presence. Every service you can draw near to God. Every morning you can draw near to God. Riding down the road you can draw near to God. Well, how can I do that? Well, James tells us, humble yourselves, cleanse your hands as sinners, and purify your hearts as double-minded. In other words, you do what you need to do to get into the presence of God. God doesn't adjust Himself to get into our presence. We ought to adjust ourselves to get into His presence. And when we do so, it's an awesome experience. When we talk about the hand of God, it's not just talking about the presence of God, but I believe it's also talking about the power. The power of God. Something else that the church is lacking. I'm talking about the church in general. And that is the power of God. Why don't we see people saved like we used to? Why don't we see people stay on the fundamental road like we used to? Why are we struggling trying to keep and hold and maintain? I think it's because we don't have the power of God. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all power, and that is there, he's talking about delegated authority, all power is given unto me. And then he says in Matthew 28, verse 20, and lo, I, the one who has all power, am with you always. Matthew 22, 29, Jesus said, you do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. John 1, and verse 12, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power. Acts 1, and verse 8, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. When Paul was going through his great trial, the thorn in the flesh, he was praying that God would remove. Jesus said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When Paul understood what Jesus was saying, his response to the revelation of God was this, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Paul concludes the letter saying, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Colossians 1 and verse 11, Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. 
2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Remember Paul, I've mentioned this in the school, may have mentioned in the service as well. Paul's prayer, Paul the writer of half the New Testament, saved apostle, he said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And the word know there is the Greek word gnosko. Paul is saying, I, I already know it here. I'm not asking for more information and knowledge. Paul says, I want to know experientially resurrection power. I want to tell you resurrection power. The same power that brought Jesus from the grave. It'll change your home. It'll change your life. It'll smash the strongholds in your life. It'll transform a church. It'll change a community. Our prayer meeting, the other thing that folks have been praying on Saturday nights is that this, is this, that Lord, would you manifest your presence? Would you quicken the atmosphere with yourself so that people just driving by would sense and have an awareness that there is a God? It wasn't just but one week later. We had guests and people would ask, what brought you here? You know somebody? Did somebody invite you? A lady said, I drove by and something said, you need to come in. The next week, a man came. He said, I've been driving back and forth passing this church, but recently, something just drew me. And I was hearing that Sunday after Sunday. The people were hearing that. And the people would bring, bring one to me and say, hey, here's another one. And they would say, something just drew me. And I told them, it's not something, it's someone. We need the hand of God. The Bible says that Ezra had the hand of God upon him. Now, if we're going to have the hand of God and be in the presence of God and know the power of God, would you look at it real quick in, in verse number 10? The Bible says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Just a few things here I hope we can see that are pretty clear. There's not, it's really not that obscure. And if we can take these things and put them into practice tonight before you go to bed, I believe you can know the reality of what it's referring to when it says the hand of God. Notice the Bible says in verse number 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart. Do you know we have to prepare... Um, Athletes prepare. People in the Olympics, they prepare their bodies an entire life for a single event. That's the kind of dedication that they have. Preparation. I'm not, I've lost interest in the Olympics a long time ago, and, and then I'm always shocked at the new sports that they put in there, um, and they call it a sport, but, but people prepare for whatever it might be. I just, I just, I just, I don't know. I'm just not interested. I'm, I'm not against it. I don't think anything's wrong with it. I, I just lost interest. You know, especially when, whenever they had this, I don't even know what they call it, a high dive, I guess. You know, somebody climbs up this ladder in their underwear and step out on the edge and they jump off. I guess they try to see how small of a splash they can make. And, and I, it, just, it just doesn't interest me. But I have thought from time to time, if they were ever to take a contestant, from the first week of The Biggest Loser and see if he can make it up the ladder and put him out on the edge and see how big of a splash he could make. Oh, I'd be recording that. But see, they don't use people like me. They don't use people that are just average, common. and They use people who have prepared and are dedicated. Farmers do not expect to reap a harvest until they have first prepared the soil. Do you know that no child of God can expect to just be in the presence of God and experience the power of God, know the hand of God, until there's been some kind of preparation? What is the preparation? Well, notice in verse number 10, Ezra prepared his, what is it? Heart. Do you know a Bible college degree does not guarantee that anybody has the hand and power of God upon their life? No, I was taught to parse and exegete the Greek language. 
But I want to tell you, if you learn how to parse and exegete, you learn your fundamentals, you learn all these nice things in class, but you do not know what it means to be effective at praying and evangelizing, you're missing the hand of God. Hey, by the way, there are those who will talk about digging deep in the Word. And a lot of times in this arena of the Reformed Calvinism, um, these are your intellectual ivory tower of intellect. And that's where that, that, that uh, false doctrine tends to nurture and become cultivated. It's in this cerebral mindset that is approaching the Scriptures. But I'll tell you this, here's what I have found, and it rots my socks when I hear about people who dig deep in the Bible but they come up drier. Something's wrong with that. Digging deeper in the well of God's Word, you'll never come up dry. You might be digging, you might be looking, and you might be finding, but you didn't come across God. In the presence of God, there's no dryness. There's a preparation that needs to happen. He says He prepared His heart. Among other things, I believe at this, at the very least, what he's saying is he's dealing with sin. The Bible tells us that the attitude of your heart is important. Do you know that the attitude of your heart determines where you spend in eternity? You might be visiting here and maybe this isn't your church and maybe you're not even accustomed to <coughs> coming to church and, and you're not sure what this is all about. You're not even sure what I'm talking about. But would you get this part? Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation is not something you do. Salvation is a choice you make to depend upon, upon what Jesus did for you. I said, salvation is not something you do. Well, I keep the Ten Commandments, one man said. I said, well, interesting. Can you tell me what they are? He thought for a moment. He said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I said, that's a good idea, but that's not one of the Ten Commandments. You know, people are trying to hold on to certain things hoping that their good works will outweigh the bad works. The problem with that is they don't know how many good works they've done. They don't know how many bad works they've done. And they don't have any idea as to where they stand at the moment. Jesus has a better plan. 2,000 years ago, He died on the cross, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was born, and thou shalt call His name Jesus. Why? For He shall save His people from their sin. Jesus is a Savior. He came to save you from your sin, past sin, today's sins, future sins, and to give you eternal life. But He can't save you against your will. You have a choice that needs to be made when you understand sin is your problem. Hell is your consequence. Jesus is the answer. All you then need to do is make a decision to place your faith, your trust, your dependence only upon Jesus. Why? He's the only one who can save your soul. And the moment you place your dependence upon Him, it's all over but the shouting at that point, because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, that's a decision made in the recess of your heart. But let me say every child of God, we have decisions to make every day about what we're going to do with respect to the one who saved us. Acts 5 and verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? We heard the song sung. I think some of the bravest words prayed in the Bible were that of David's in Psalm chapter, what is it, 139, when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. He didn't pray, Search me, O David. What David missed, God does not. Because David didn't die for his sins and it wouldn't have made any difference had he done so. But Jesus would be that Lamb of God. And God took very serious the sin that David committed. And so he prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Matthew 12, 34, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Jeremiah chapter 17, Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. What does that mean? It means this, I can't trust my heart. I can't trust my heart. I've got blind spots. What does that mean? That means that there are things in my life that you might see, but I don't see them. They're called blind spots. You know how we can get those blind spots revealed and removed? Coming to God, preparing our heart. Oh God, would you expose my blind spots? God, would you help me? 
the Bible tells us that David, the man after God's own heart, he failed to prepare his heart. Listen, it is a big deal as to what you do with sin. People come in sometimes on a Sunday morning. They come in and they just sit there and looking to see if the preacher's going to move them. See if the preacher's going to budge them. Listen, my philosophy is if God can't budge you, why should I try? I will talk to some after service. You're going to come back tonight? No, I'm not coming back tonight. I didn't get anything out of it this morning. Why would I come back tonight? I'll tell you why a lot of people don't get much out of church. It's because you let your brain wallow around in the sewage of this world. You stay up and watch Saturday Night Live, you're not going to find Sunday morning life. It ain't going to happen. Not until you prepare your heart. See, some of you haven't made eye contact yet, but that's okay. Because I want you to understand, until you get your heart prepared, you're not going to be able to find deliverance. You're not going to find the answer. But God is not asking you to clean your heart. God's not asking you to remove your sin. God is asking that you just get honest about the fact that you need Him. And when you recognize the need, it's not difficult to get to Him. He's the answer. I know some may say He doesn't fit their philosophy, but I know Jesus is still the answer. He's always been, and He always will be. What sin is it? Maybe it's bitterness. There's a lot of folks that make some bad and dumb decisions because they get bitter. You know, bitterness is, is, is a sinful cancer. Bitterness has caused many a person to walk out on a marriage. Caused many a family to walk out on their church. And somebody says, I'm not bitter. Don't you bring them up in my presence again. You know, that indicates they're wounded, they're hurt, and they're nursing the hurt. You know, a lot of bitter young people, you don't get it dealt with, prepare your heart, you're going to grow up and be a bitter old person. You know what bitter parents do? They have bitter teenagers. Bitter teenagers become bitter parents. And the cycle continues until you recognize you're not going to have the hand and power of God. You're not going to be in the presence of God. You're not going to experience God, the fresh encounters daily, until you first prepare your heart. You say, I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what to do with the sin. I can't do it. This is bigger than me. And God's not asking you to do anything with it. He's asking you to let Him do something about it. But you've got to prepare your heart. Ezra, he prepared his heart. And then what did he do? Look at it in verse number 10. Are you still with me? All right, I'm glad one is. Anybody else? All right, verse number 10. I, I, we're, we're, we, are in, we are south of the Mason-Dixon line. It's okay for you to, to say amen every now and then. You know that? I, I, was, I was up in uh, Michigan, and um, I said, it's awfully quiet here. I said, yeah, we, we should have some amens here every now and then. Somebody informed me later that we just don't do that up here. I said, oh. Well, I'm pretty sure I heard 100,000 of them when I saw on TV Michigan and Ohio State play. I'm pretty sure they did that. And that was Michigan and Ohio. So, I don't buy that. We don't do that here. Um, and so, anyway. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. When he prepared his heart, he had a purpose in mind. And you see the priorities of Ezra. What are they? Seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Ezra, what are you going to be about today? Seeking the law of the Lord and doing it. Ezra, what are you going to uh, the temple for? <clears throat> to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. When the Bible says he sought the law of the Lord, what is he referring to? What is the law of the Lord referred to? Somebody tell me. Yeah, the law of God, the Word of God. He didn't have the whole Bible that you and I have. But what he did have, he recognized this is God's Word, the Word of God, the law of the Lord. And Ezra was seeking, the idea here to seek is that of pursuing. It is that of understanding. I'm not going to exhaust it, but I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep seeking because it's a living book. It's the very words of God. And Ezra's attitude was seeking God's Word. Let me ask you. Do you want to experience the fresh encounters with God? Do you want to know the power of God? Prepare your heart and make the Word of God a priority. What's your attitude towards the Bible? 
Job 23 and verse 12, Job says, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Psalm 1 and verse 2, but his delight, who? The blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's a pretty good verse to to, uh, justify coming to church at night. Psalm 19 and verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, than the honeycomb. Psalm 119 verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Jesus said, Matthew 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. John 5, 39, Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Acts 17, verse 11, The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because that they received His Word, and they searched it daily, whether those things were so. Hey, did you get, catch that? It says that the Bereans, they sought what the preacher was saying. They sought to confirm whether it was so. Did you get that? They did not sit to critique if it wasn't so. I've seen a lot of Bible lawyers sitting in pews waiting to see if the pastor messed up somewhere so they could point that out. You don't have a love relationship with the Bible. That was not the Bereans. They were sitting there saying, that's good preaching. Oh, I want to know it myself. And they would take what the preacher had preached and they wouldn't put the Bible in the back seat of the car until the next service. They took it and they got into it until it became a part of their life. Let me ask you, what's your attitude towards the Bible? There's a lot of things people think bothered me. It really is not the case. I'm not bothered by a lot of things. It's just whatever bothers me is going to come up in the preaching. My wife has told a, a lot of folks when they'll bring up something to her, I, I just want to. I just need to let Pastor know. And she's told them, you may not want to let him know before the message because if you let him know before the message, it's liable to come up in the message. It's just the way it is. Um, so uh, more of an evangelist maybe than a, a pastor. You don't ever have to wonder what an evangelist thinks because he's going to tell you. And so, uh, there's not a lot of things bother me, but what does bother me, it does come up. And I'll tell you this one, I have a hard time. With, I, just, I just have a hard time. I can't, I, I've asked, I've, I've sat down, I've listened to the reasoning, I've tried, I've tried, I, I've tried. I just thought when I get older, and I get as old as Pastor Andy, then maybe I'll have gotten a grasp on this. But I'm telling you, here I am in my late 40s, and I'm still not any, in fact, I'm still having just as much of a struggle as I've ever had with this issue. I don't understand how people can sleep in church. I don't. I don't. Especially after going to Mongolia, being in churches, people have gotten saved. One church, they just got a New Testament. And when I walked in with the whole Bible, a man asked, through an interpreter, could I hold it? Could I hold it? Yet there are people who claim the name of Jesus who come in don't even have a Bible. I know there are people who who have their phones, uh, have their Bibles on their phones, and and I tell ours, I recognize you, you have your Bible on your phone, but you also have your Facebook, and you also have your words with friends, and you also have your text messaging. And I'll tell you this. Um, there's something special about hearing the pages turn. There were men who died for this. There were Christians who've never even seen a Bible. That's hard to imagine. I've said if you're going to use your Bible on your phone and Bible app, you ought to at least try to find an app that makes the sound of pages turning, you know? 
I don't understand how people sleep. I, I know somebody always comes to me. I am a, I'm a, I'm a crazy person magnet. I, I, and I know that too. And so that's why I try to stay close to Brother Milan because, you know, I figure they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll go to him faster than me. But, um, but everywhere I go, somebody can't wait to get to me to say, to tell me about the fact they've got a physical problem. That's why they can't stay awake. But then they get into a vehicle and they drive. I'm saying, uh, something doesn't make sense here. And there are some remedies if you have a physical problem. It's called drinking the right coffee. That'll help. It really does. Yeah. Get off that Dunkin' and stuff, all right? But anyway, um, oh, oh, did, did we, we hit a stump there, didn't we? I guess because when I was five years old, I'd sit beside my grandmother in church and whatever she was writing down, I tried to copy on my piece of paper. Because after every service, my mom would ask, what did the preacher preach about? Now, my pastor told jokes and illustrations, and it would, it would help me remember them, and it would suffice my mom. But if I could not recall anything that the preacher preached about, I got a spanking when I got home. I don't think my mom ever played on a church softball team, but she did know how to swing. Yeah. Someone asked me if she ever... Uh, she ever practiced timeout? I said, no, it was more like knockout. And it was just one and two. <laughs> and I wasn't coming back up. Someone said, well, that's cruel. You know, that's why I'm here tonight. My dad did walk out when I was five. I've never seen or heard of my dad since then. My mom was not perfect by any means. But she did the very best that she could to convince a little boy that God loves me. He has a plan for me. And the Bible is a big deal. When the man of God stood up with the Word of God, I, as a little boy, I bought into the fact that God had a plan for me. When I was seven years old, I, my birthday was is in September. It's always right before school would start. So my birthday gifts were school shopping. My mom said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want some of those black shoes that have little holes on the toes. And we, she couldn't understand what I was talking about. And we were at church. I said, there, like pastors. She said, wingtips? I said, yes. She said, what are you going to do with wingtips? I said, I will kick the ball further than anybody else. <laughs> My pastor always had certs. I don't know if they even still make certs. Tastes like Pepto-Bismol. But I wanted certs. He always had a handkerchief. I carried a handkerchief. Why? Because I wanted to be like the man of God. Not because of his personality, because he was the one who communicated to us the Word of God. See, my mom's philosophy is, is if I could stay awake through an hour of Winnie the Pooh, I should be able to stay awake through an hour of the preaching of God's Word. He sought the law of the Lord, but to do it. Do it. Nike didn't come up with it first. God did. John 2 and verse 5, Mary said unto the servants, Whatsoever he, Jesus, saith unto you, do it. Jesus said, John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. You know what James chapter 1 says? You've heard it. We've even heard it pray this week. Excuse me. <coughs> There's a danger in just hearing the Word and not being doers. Can I tell you, Central Baptist Church, you stand at great risk just like Canaan Baptist Church and any other Bible-preaching church because the more of the Word that you hear preached that you fail to become a doer of and obedient to, the Bible says you will not be satanically deceived. It is not Satan deceiving us. It is self-deception. And God's people, the very ones designed and called to be light and salt in this world, we can be self-deceived because we hear the truth, we deflect the truth. I was telling Brother Osborne today, Neil Postman, in one of his writings, was talking about the information ratio. We seek so much and we get so little out of it. Think about the days of the telegraph. Telegram. If you got a, a telegram that came to you, chances are it pertains to you. 
But we live in a day of information where smartphones, you can search information constantly. Young people stay up all night just looking at YouTube after YouTube after YouTube. They get up in the morning, they don't have time with God because they didn't sleep all night. And they're just looking at news. And it's not just young people. I've got senior citizens in our church who just sit and just read the news when they could be engaging and talking with each other. I've got one who's a retired grandfather. I go back to shake his hand and he's playing Candy Crush or whatever on his iPad and it's just it's not just a certain age group but we're so used to just information information Instagram Pinterest and and Facebook and and social media just getting information but out of all that information that's coming at us how much of it really is helpful to you it may be one out of a hundred just throwing out a, a ratio a statistic what have you done? What, what is it, young person? What is it, mom and dad, you've allowed your young people to do? You've allowed them to condition their brains. I'm going to reject this. And we just swipe through, swipe through. Rejecting this, rejecting this, reject. Oh, this looks good. I'll save this for later. Reject this, reject this. Ooh, this is interesting. I'll forward this to somebody else. And reject this, reject this, and reject this. And do you know that same brain comes into our church when they hear the Word of God preach? They're so used to reject this and reject this. Ooh, that's funny. I like that joke. Oh, reject this and reject this. I'm not interested in that. And we have become accustomed to being hearers only. Why did Ezra have the hand of God, fresh encounters, and he knew the power of God? Because he prepared his heart, he made the Word of God a priority, and he submitted himself to it. Would you stand with me, please? Heads bowed and eyes closed.